Well, good morning again. I, uh, I pray that you're, you're worshipped up and you're ready to worship some more. Uh, we have recently finished a series through the book of, and really some of the life of the church at Ephesus. I pray that was profitable for you and I don't want you to forget what we've talked about and I'm going to encourage you to go back to Ephesians and read it, okay? But today we're going to begin a new series uh, of messages that I think are integral to the culture and vision of this church, not the church like other churches, I mean this church. And this series, uh, I'll confess to you, is not going to be a weekly series. You may not even know when I'm going to preach the next message in it, but I'll tell you. And when you show up, be ready to listen and engage. Um, Our text, of course, is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Those are really the the core verses that I want us to draw our attention to, but I will confess we're going to spend more time we're going to spend a good deal of time in, in Hebrews 3 and 4 uh, at large, but I do want to just, just echo a verse that Brother Gary just read for us in, in, in uh, Psalms chapter 95. He read that psalm of David, and, and it, it was about worship, but then it kind of changed course in the middle of it. Do you remember? Did you catch that? Uh, the focus uh, was kind of changed course because... It talked about how to, in verse 8, harden not your heart. Well, those words are going to be repeated through chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I just, I want to draw your attention to that last verse that uh, is written there in Psalm 95. uh, And that call to worship the Lord, the last verse in that is, Unto whom I swear in my wrath... Uh, We'll go back to verse 10, just so you have it in context. Forty years was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. I bring that up because chapter 3 and chapter 4 is a call to enter into the Lord's rest. The writer kind of makes a big deal out of entering the Lord's rest. In fact, the writer references five, I, I, I saw five different periods of, of the Lord's rest in history uh, throughout the larger passage of chapter 3 and 4. He, he references that rest, periods of rest, Five times. The first he talks about and uh, at least alludes to in chapter 4, verse 4, the Sabbath rest at the beginning of creation. Uh, in, in the next verse, there's an allusion uh, back to this psalm and to the promised land rest that was offered to those wandering Israelites that did not choose to believe. And then in verse 8, he alludes back to the Israelites under Joshua's promised land rest, the ones that actually went in. And then in verse 7, the salvation rest that David wrote about in Psalm 95 that Brother Gary read for us this morning. And then the last one is in verse 9, the rest that is available to us today. Did you know that there is rest available today. Uh, If you're here this morning and you've, maybe you've heard the gospel or maybe you don't know what I'm talking about when I was, when I say the word gospel, if you're here today and you've, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you've, you're not certain of where you will go when you die, the Bible tells you where you can, where you will go when you die makes it very clear. And the Bible invites you to enter into his rest. The Bible this morning, if you're here and you're lost and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, if you're here and you don't know that you're going to heaven, the Bible invites you to know. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, he's in verse 28, and he's, I think he's talking to those who 
have not followed him yet, and those who are still following him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's rest available for you today. Jesus is offering for you a new quality of life marked by peace and comfort, not based on your earthly circumstances. I hope you caught that part because living this life is not going to suddenly be easy because you've entered into the Lord's rest, but it will be it will be restful. You will be at peace. You will have comfort. You will have security because it's not going to be based on your circumstances. It's going to be based on his promises. Amen. And his word is rich with promises. This term, the title of my sermon is Look to the Book. And we will, uh, we will be talking more about looking to the book. Um, but I, I'm going to structure my sermon like this. We're going to talk about a problem And then we're going to talk about an answer. So uh, I need you to just, if you're taking notes, then there's some of my sermon structure right there. But uh, again, the sermon is entitled, Look to the Book. Can you say that with me? Look to the Book. Okay? There may be other times in this message where you're going to be prompted to say, Look to the Book. Say it again. Look to the Book. All right. So let's Uh, We're going to read kind of a large portion of Scripture real quick, just so we can have this in context. Because these two verses, uh, which are powerful, especially verse 12 is one we're going to focus on heavily. Uh, These are incredibly powerful verses, but we need to understand them in context. So we're going to read chapter 3 and the first 11 verses of chapter 4. And I'm going to ask if you would please stand with me. We don't stand because this is some kind of ritual. We stand because we're going to honor God's Word. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are spoken of, uh, which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was aggrieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren. He's saying, listen up. Take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, uh, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of Entering into his rest, any of you should uh, seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, uh, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake 
in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in the, this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day. God, I thank you again for the opportunity to preach. Lord, this is an incredible privilege. And Lord, I pray. We've read a lot of verses. We've read a large passage. And Lord, it would take, uh, if, if, if I were to peel back all of this and expose all the truth revealed in here and try to connect all of it from front to back, God, I know it would take me weeks and months and maybe even years. There's so much here. But God, I pray that you help all of us together to draw near. Lord, help us to make the connections that are needed to be made so that we can see the tension in this message and see the answer for us. Lord, I pray you would help us to draw near. Help us to focus on you in Christ's name. Amen. So first you see the problem. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, if you pay attention... He's constantly referring back to a problem. What is that problem? Anybody want to take a swing at it? What? Unbelief, right? Unbelief. Uh, If you remember, uh, the children of Israel had been given some promises from God. Uh, Whenever he led them out of Egypt uh, through the work of Moses and through his miracles, uh, do you think he had no plan after that? I mean, that wasn't the end of the goal was to just get them out of Egypt. There was a plan. There was a, a, a promise ahead of them. In fact, it was called a special kind of land. What was that? The promised land, uh, where they were going to have an entirely new and different kind of life. And, and the problem was is that uh, you know, God was preparing them to enter into that, <coughs> excuse me, into that promised land. And if you, do you all remember the story whenever they arrived at the, at the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Jordan River? And they sent in some spies. You know, they didn't just march across the river and go straight in. They, they stopped and they gathered themselves and they started to prepare that they were going to enter into this promised land. The end goal uh, uh, for, that, for those people there at least, and, and not necessarily the end goal for the Israelites altogether, which was to deliver a Savior in, this, in who we know is now Jesus Christ. But the end goal to that particular past, uh, uh, period of history was to get them into the promised land. And remember, they sent in 12 spies. And, and how did those spies report. There was 10 that came back and said what? Yeah, it's great. It's awesome in there, man. Uh, You wouldn't believe the kind of resources they have. Uh, But wait a minute, they have a bunch of giants? And uh, you know what? I don't know, man. I don't think we should go. There was two guys who were true and, and believed. They were referenced. If you go back and study that chapter three, you'll catch uh, uh, those that were spoken of, they're not named, but Joshua and Caleb, those two guys, who came back and said, let's go. Charge on, man. Let's do it. But what did the Israelites say? They came, they came to this place, and, and, and they came to, this, to the very uh, brink of where they were going to enjoy and this promise, and they were going to see God who had already delivered them from unimaginable uh, uh, odds and, and, and very difficult circumstances, had delivered them, had supplied for them, had saved them, had shown miracle after miracle of his strength towards them. And, and they got to this, the brink of arriving into his rest and the life that he wanted for them to have in the promised land. And got it. what did they say? Now, this is silly. There's no way we can do this. We don't trust you enough. Why don't we just go back to Egypt? The problem is unbelief. The writer, 
One of the beautiful things about uh, especially the epistles and when you read uh, uh, letters written by the apostles and some of the disciples, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. And Some people say it was uh, uh, Paul. Some people say it might have been one of the other disciples like Barnabas or Silas who were really close. We know that he had a really close relationship with the disciples, a firsthand relationship with the disciples and the apostles, but we really don't know who. But one of the great things about studying through these uh, epistles like the book of Ephesians we just went through, uh, instead of finding, uh, leading up to verses like 4 verse 12, which is an incredible verse and incredibly powerful and rich, there is a whole host of reasoned argument building to that case. And so what he has done, what we just read, that huge passage, the reason why I made you stand and listen to me read it and read it with me was because we need to hear that reasoned argument given to us that leads us to that verse 12. Begins all the way back to uh, 3 verse 1, and, and he begins by drawing those parallels between Jesus and Moses. He begins and, and showing that Jesus is greater than Moses. He draws the parallel between the Israelites and the wilderness. And then in verse 9, he calls the people of God. He said, what did he say in verse 9? Let's read it together again. But we see Jesus who was made a little, excuse me, that is Hebrew. That's verse chapter 2, good grief. Um, <laughs> it says in verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now he's not just talking about only those Israelites. He's talking about all of God's chosen people. I I wish I had time this morning to to take you back through the the New Testament and, and how Jesus made absolutely clear that while, yes, the Israelites were God's chosen special people, and they still are, by the way, that through Jesus, now all who have trusted in Jesus Christ are his people too. Amen. And so that, that parallel, when he, when he talks about Israelites in the wilderness who, who screwed up, messed up, and freaked out and gave up, I think there's a comparison there to us too. We're included in that group. Israel arrived, and they messed up. They freaked out. And the writer, I believe, is saying that Christians, if you're here and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that means you. People who have trusted Christ as their Savior are just as capable as the idiocy as the Israelites. And instead of uh, you know seeing that, hey, we're about to enter into the promised land of Israel, the land of Canaan, which will become the, the nation of Israel, instead of that for us, which was for the, the Israelites that ended up wandering in the wilderness and a whole generation having to die off because of their, their unbelief, instead of that, we are facing a whole life of peace and comfort, not just physical comfort. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowing where you're going and having a purpose in your life and knowing that God can use you no matter how awful your circumstances are and that you can live a life that glorifies him. I mean, we're talking about having a life with incredible purpose. Church, if you're here this morning and and you're a member of this church, that means you have made a profession of faith that you've trusted Christ. You've been wet by these waters or waters in a, a similar Baptist church somewhere that says to the whole world, I am now following Christ. And uh, the reality is, is the stakes of your life are pretty high. You no longer, God, Jesus did not save you to enjoy nice cars and comfortable houses and football games. I mean, I love football. Uh, we hadn't watched football in years and, and we just got cable again just for a little bit so we can watch the Aggies and the Cowboys. All right, Aggies whooped up on Arkansas, man. It was beautiful. Do you know what? There's a whole lot more to life than football. I mean, that's just like the tiniest, most insignificant part. If you're saved, Jesus saved you to live an entirely different kind of life than what you see in the world around you. A life of purpose and meaning. But there's a problem. We have unbelief. 
You might wonder, Brother Darren, what does that mean? Uh, does that mean I'm lost? No. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the Word of God says with, uh, no, in no uncertain terms that when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what it says in Ephesians 1.14. Uh, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means nobody is going to unsave you. You can't screw it up enough. I mean, you will enter into his eternal rest. But the unbelief is unbelief in him to live for him, to live like him, to live out the life that, that we're shown in the word of God. Unbelief. In God's word, there's three warnings I, I that I see uh, in this passage, and I, I'm not gonna I'm gonna have to move a little quicker. I'm sorry, but the writer includes three warnings that I see uh, in in uh, four different places. No, three different places uh, in verse uh, chapter three, verse eight, and verse fifteen, and then chapter four, verse seven. There's that repeated uh, reference back to Psalms 95, where he said, "Harden not your hearts." Why is that? told to these Christians that are reading this. Why? Why is he comparing them to those Israelites who hardened their hearts against God? Because we do it. Not because we can do it. We do do it. We harden. You, it's so easy for any of us, myself included, to come to church and really to have a hard heart, not ready to submit to what God's word is instructing us to do and to live. We harden our hearts all the time. We, we put all kinds of roadblocks. Listen, I, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. I, I got this many hours. I have to do my job. I, I have these responsibilities with my family. I just, I can't do that. And you know what? It's just too much, God, that I, I'm going to have to share the gospel and live a certain way before the rest of this world. Well, I can't do that. Forget it. I, I'll come and I'll sit and listen in church, but I'm just going to harden my heart to the real instruction for my life. We do that. We do that. The other two warnings, the second one I see is to beware of the danger of unbelief. And we've talked about that here. And, and, and I would say this is really two dangers because if you're an unbeliever and you've never trusted Christ, the danger is, is that you're headed towards hell. I can't say it any more plainly than that. Not because you're so much worse than the rest of us, <laughs> but because all of humanity have been tainted by the, the evil of sin, and God's word is incredibly clear that he will and must judge all sin to retain his righteousness and his holiness. If he doesn't judge uh, a sin and evil in this world, then he is no longer holy and righteous. His character demands a righteous judgment. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I, I really, it's a horrible thing. It's a hard thing to hear, but the Bible says you're going to hell. There was a point in my life where I knew I was going to hell. I knew it. I, I faced it. I, I, I was consumed with the fear of it. But thank God, he, I believed. Amen. The danger for unbelief for you is eternal. But if you're here this morning and you're, you, you are a, a, a believer... There's still a danger of unbelief. We talked about it. You can live your life uh, uh, having proclaimed Jesus Christ and trusted him for your salvation and live just like the rest of the world because you don't believe what his word says is true or right or good or useful to you at all. It's easy. The third warning I see, uh, <laughs> go, go to chapter 3, verse 13. He gives an encouragement, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Don't be duped by the deceitfulness of sin. I, 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 I got to sit on this just a second. I'm sorry. But it doesn't say being duped by the deceiver. It doesn't say being deceived by the devil. It doesn't name the devil in this passage, does it? What does it say? The deceitfulness of sin. Let me ask any of you, everyone in here, do you have sin in your life? Oh yeah. You know, 
the pow- what is the power of sin? Let's, let's just kind of boil that down to the, to the lowest common denominator. The power of sin is that it offers you a promise. And the only reason why any of us ever sin is because we believe the promise of sin. We go, well, this is going to feel good. This is, this is going to get me uh, further in life. Because of the promise of sin, we'll cheat on our tests and exams in college and high school. Because of the, the promises of sins, we'll compromise our, our sexual relationship or our sexual standards in a non-marriage relationship. We'll convince ourselves of the lie. Well, they may not love me anymore if I don't compromise here. Or, or they, might not, they may not want to be with me. They make me feel so special. They make me feel so accepted and loved. And, and, and I can't let go of that. So yeah, I'll have to compromise so that I can keep this, this relationship. It's a lie. And it's in you. Listen, the devil could be thrown in the, pits, uh, the bottomless pit today and there would still be sin in this world. Because it's not him that leads us into sin. It's you and me. We do it on our own. We, we embrace it. We, we, we hold on to it. We cling to our sin. We believe those promises. And we live them out in our life. The devil will set plans for you. He'll set snares. But he doesn't have to, he'll give you a boost every now and again. He doesn't need to be there for you to sin. But sin is a liar. So what's the answer? What's the answer? That's a good one. What, what, did, what, did the, what, did, what, was, what was Jesus called in, in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the, the word. Look at me, look with me to verse 12. The answer, verse 12, let us, oh, verse 11, let us labor therefore. It means endeavor, push ourselves to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. My goodness, this is a preacher trap right here. There's so many words here, so many different things going on. I could spend weeks just preaching this one verse because we could take every uh, a facet of this and look at this. But the reality is, is I, what the writer is not directing you to say, uh, uh, yes, you need to read the word. There was no directions in there, but it is pointing to God's word. And we'll talk uh, about that a little bit, but the writer is imploring us to enter into that rest. Uh, similar to the language in Romans 6.11, Likewise, reckon, you, uh, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, reckon yourselves. What he's saying is, is uh, uh, do it. <laughs> Just do it. Enter into it. And then the writer brings up God's word. He gives a very powerful description of his word. Uh, I, I just have a few points about that. He says it's quick. What does that mean? This is King James. Uh, what is he saying? It's alive. It's like, a, it's like Ephesians 2, 1, when he said, And you hath he quickened, who were once dead in trespasses and sins. He's, he's saying the word of God is alive. We worship a, a living God. And his word is alive. It is, it is living. It is and not only that, it's, a, it's quick and it's powerful. That, I think that conveys, I believe, that conveys more than just potential power. And let me tell you, uh, the potential power in this book has crumbled nations and churches. And I mean, it has done tremendous work uh, in this world just by these words. So there's tremendous potential power. But more than that, it's conveying that the word of God is active. It is not just potentially doing work. It is 
actively doing it in your life if you let it. It's actively working in this world. The Word of God is, is doing something in this world. And if you'll submit yourself to God's Word, it will do a work in you. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. It's powerful. It's active. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Man, there's so much to be said on this account. I mean, it, it just it, read the description. Power, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. I mean, he's, he's referencing a lot of different things here, but let me just kind of boil it down for us. Let's sum it up and say that the word of God will pierce very, very, very deeply into your life. Not only will it, is it actively doing work, it will radically change your life. Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, some translations have translated this as judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I don't really like that because it sounds like condemnation. There, there's different kinds of judgment. It's 1157. If you're trying to get out of here early for lunch, it ain't going to happen. I'm sorry. So just hang on with me, okay? What does a movie critic do? It evaluates. A critic will evaluate the movie and describe the good parts and the bad parts and the funny parts and the annoying parts that should have been left out. It's just an evaluation. Or how about um, how about sports commentators? I, I don't know if uh, Tony Romo and, and uh, oh, I can't come up with his name, is going to be announcing the game today, the Cowboys game at 325, playing the Pats. I'm not going to say anything about the outcome because that did not work last week. But we will listen to them. If you watch that game, you'll listen to them. You'll hear their commentary where they're evaluating and they're, they're making uh, critical observations and, and, and revealing some things about the game that you may not see. God's word will do that. It will evaluate you. It will help you understand. You know, we go to, uh, our world is, is a very therapy forward. And I don't think that's an entirely bad thing. Uh, uh, but I will tell you that I believe for most of us, if you just spend time in God's word, I think God will help reveal to you what's going on that's giving you such a hard time. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Does the writer implore the reader to personally dig in the Word? No, but I, I would argue, how can it not be implied that we need to be in God's Word? The Bible itself tells us that we should be reading God's Word. We should do it communally. That's why we do it on Sunday mornings, 1 Thessalonians 5.27. It says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. We read the Bible together. Reading the Bible should be done in public. 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Reading the Bible should be done personally, on a daily basis. Nehemiah 8.18, wonderful example of this. We see in Ezra, also day by day, from the first unto the last day, he, Ezra, read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was the solemn assembly according unto that manner. You know, you might argue with me, well, brother, Ezra was a priest. Of course he was expected to read daily. You're the preacher. You're supposed to read daily. Well, let me tell you, uh, I'm going I'm to blow that idea up because you are too. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen generation. He's talking to all Christians. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A we're supposed to be weird, a peculiar people. 
We need to get weird about God's word. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you need a New Testament example of this, I would say look to Acts 8, 27 and 28, where you see that Ethiopian eunuch going home and reading Isaiah. We're to be in God's word. I, I, uh, I was trying to think about reasons why this is such an important answer to this question of unbelief, the problem of unbelief. There's promises in the Bible. We talked about the promises of sin. Let's talk about promises in the Bible. I have a, a list of 36 of them. And if you want this list, I'll produce it and you can have it this afternoon in the afternoon service. But uh, I'll just kind of share them with you. The Bible provides everything pertaining to life and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1.3. Every one of these has a scripture reference, by the way. By the Bible, we can escape the corruption that's in the world. We can become partakers of the divine nature. The scriptures restores our souls, enlightens our eyes, rejoices our heart, and makes us wise. We can be warned by the scriptures, and there we will find great reward for those who follow the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the Bible is able to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and instruct us in righteousness. It also tells us that the Bible can make us adequate for every good deed. The Bible gives direction in dark times. The Bible makes us wiser than our enemies. The Bible keeps us pure from sin. The Bible produces reverence for God. The Bible produces faith in us. Uh, according to Romans 10, 17, by scripture, we are born again. The Bible makes us strong so we can overcome evil. The Bible is the sword of the spirit by which we can fight the devil. According to Ephesians 6, 17, the Bible is able to discern the thoughts and motives of the heart. According to the verse we just read, this Bible is able to discern, oh, excuse me, this Bible produces love a good conscience, a sincere faith. The, the scripture testifies of and teaches us about Jesus. The scripture produce, provides hope, encouragement, and perseverance. The scripture enables us to grow in our salvation. We can build, uh, by the scripture, we can be built up into our faith. The scripture performs God's work in us. The Bible makes us prosperous with good fruit and deep roots. Following scripture assures us success. The scripture keeps us from sin. The scripture was given to keep us from stumbling. The Bible helps us accomplish God's purposes in life. The scripture cleanses and sanctifies us. The scripture gives us an eternal perspective about what life is really about. The scriptures enable us to resist the devil. The Bible gives us life and prolongs our days. The Bible gives us the knowledge of God. The scriptures give us wisdom in Proverbs 1. The scriptures keep us from being deceived and tricked by the evil one. The scriptures are food for our souls. And the scriptures, all who read the scriptures, and according to Revelation 1.3, will be blessed. If you need any reason why you should read God's word and, and consume it, and there's 36 of them straight from God's word. And every one of them is true. And if you'll test them, God will prove them in your life. There's, I, I still see a problem though. I think all of us agree that there are benefits to reading the Bible. We've talked about this answer, the B-I-B-L-E, that we should look to the book. We've talked about it, and I think we all probably would agree on it. But having the answer is not enough. Isaac Asimov, who was a famous science fiction author and, and a scientist, in his own, not a believer, had a profound, profound quote about our present day. He said, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. What is he saying? He's saying science makes discoveries, but Few people seek on how to apply wisdom to those discoveries. 
I think everybody in here this morning, while I've been pouring myself out and talking about how precious and powerful God's word is, I don't think any of you disagree with me. Maybe one of you will. We can talk after. It's okay. I don't mind disagreement. I think all of you probably agree. I agree. I believe all this stuff. Do you know there's a difference between an answer and a solution? We need not just the answer. We need to follow the solution. And what is the solution? Look to the book. I mean, actually do it. Look to the book. The problem is that we're all missing out on the, on the rest that God has prepared for you. You remember that? God has prepared a life for you. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says uh, that, that... Oh, goodness, I'm going to have to turn there, so don't misquote it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has saved you to live a certain kind of life. A life marked and influenced by His Word. And that life is a life of rest. It's a life of joy and peace that does not come from our circumstances in this world. It doesn't come from a cowboy's victory or our house getting paid off. That peace and joy does not come from that. It comes from God and His Word and the eternal rest that He has prepared for us and the eternal rest we're supposed to share with others by sharing the gospel. There's a whole other life you should be living, and we miss it. Why? Because while we know the answer, we still don't believe it. We may not have a lack of faith in God, but we operate with a lack of faith in His Word. Look at those wandering Israelites. They had the Word of promise. They had Abraham. I mean, that that was the promise given to Abraham that was going to be realized in their generation if they would just believe. If they said, we don't believe. Yeah, we've seen pillars of fire and and a sea parted, and, and locusts, and, and frogs, and all kinds of crazy stuff, and these incredible miracles that prove that you are the God of creation, and nothing can stop you. But we don't believe God. There's giants. I think we'll just go back to Egypt. And we live our life like that. We go, you know what, God? I, I, I'm supposed to live like what the Bible? I can't live like the Bible. And you're right. You can't. You need God's help. God's Word will tell you that. God's word will tell you to depend upon him. God's word will try to help to inform you on how to let these things happen in your life. And it's not going to happen overnight. But you got to look to the book. You got to look to the book. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It's just a little kind of like an afterthought stuffed into this chapter. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Listen, we're supposed to live our lives not by sight, not by the wisdom we find in this world, not by the stuff that we we put our faith in here, that we've always put our faith in, but in the promises of God and our faith in Him. The problem is we still trust in our own wisdom or the wellsprings of wisdom that we think are good. I was... um, uh, I'm, I'm getting close, so hang on with me, all right? I have a treat here. Uh, last night, we, at, at our house, we live in a townhouse, and uh, my backyard is about the size of a postage stamp. And uh, it's mostly paved. We have uh, a couple of flower beds. There's a little nook um, in the kind of the back. Like if you walk through our gate, through our back door, but Lester and many have been here before. But if you walk through that gate, you don't really get to see much. But in that little nook, it's just a little like maybe about a, Nine by ten little space, really small. We have two chairs and a table. And um, now that it's not, uh, you know, boiling hot outside, I kind of like to go out there and just sit and study. Um, it's Houston quiet, right? You know, I can hear I-10 just a couple hundred yards away, and, and uh, I can hear the people driving. But, you know, I, it gives me a little time to focus on God's Word. It's a good place. And last night, I was sitting out there, 
And uh, uh, how many of y'all like to have treats? Yeah, you could tell. I, I had to buy new pants. I like treats so much. Um, but last night I, I went, I need, I want, this sounds really good. I kind of have a craving. I kind of did it at a pausing point. I needed to ruminate, kind of think of some of what I was studying and preparing. And, and uh, I decided I would like chocolate-covered espresso beans. Ooh. Such a delicious treat. Uh, I would eat one here for you right now, uh, but I'd probably be crunchy and all that, and you'd have to listen to me smacking. These are delicious, and if you want one, I'll share. The uh, Bible says I should share. I'll share good stuff with you. Uh, but these things, I, I bought, I had to go to the store and to get them, and, and of course that meant I needed to get a list of other things, so I did that. And I got home and finally got settled. The kids are in bed, and um, Melissa's upstairs. I, got, I decided I'm going to go sit back out there again, and I'm just going to I'm just going to study, and I'm going to dwell on God's Word, and I'm going I'm I'm to snack on these uh, chocolate-covered espresso beans. Delicious. And, uh, and so I did. I, I went out there, and, and I was out there until uh, uh, almost midnight, and, <clears throat> and um, I went to clean up, take my stuff inside, my books, and my computer, and my drink, and, and, um, and one of these had fallen on the ground. And uh, I guess my flip-flop or something had smushed it a little bit, but I noticed it as I was picking up. And um, when I went to go pick it up, see, outside, there's another thing that's outside. Anybody want to guess what it is? Little little crawlies? Uh, uh, The Simpson name for them is surfboards. Oh, come on. How many of y'all have ever grown up in a place where there was water nearby and there were cockroaches? We have a few of these little surfboards around our back patio. Thankfully, they don't very rarely enter the house. But I went to go pick up one of these these beautiful little shiny chocolate uh, uh, chocolate covered espresso beans. And when I went to pick it up, I saw it, kind of had a little shine to it, and it's round, and, and it, then I picked it up, and a little roach went like that, and it felt different in my hand. It was still a chocolate-covered espresso bean, but I did this thing. What is that? I don't know what the... I don't know what the Holy Spirit term for that is. I don't know what the Bible word for that is, but I freaked out. And a lot of us, I think, and this, I hope you'll understand the connection. I think a lot of us in our hearts, deep in us, we, we believe, we believe in our wisdom, okay? We believe in our own sources of, of truth and wisdom and, 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 and instruction. And, and so deep in the darkness of our hearts, we think we have a few of these little beautiful little nuggets, uh, little chocolate-covered espresso beans. That, and, and if we'll just reach in there and a little glimmer of light, we get to see the little shine, and we go, oh, it's going to be so good. And we pick it up, and, and we put it in our mouth, and it's a cockroach. Let me tell you, there's nothing inside of you in terms of wisdom that is greater than the Word of God. And I think... Uh, some of you, Brother Eric doesn't like coffee, he told me this morning, so he might think that these things probably taste like a cockroach, I don't know. Um, but uh, some of you might think, oh, there's no difference. Let me tell you, there's a difference. Let me tell you, if you knew you were, if you found out later that you had reached for a cockroach, I think you would have been happy if somebody had turned the light on. God's word wants to shine the light of truth into your life. We need to be people who look to the book. We need to be people who our lives are marinated in God's word. Uh, 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 Melissa was, uh, we were talking about smell, and I was trying to figure out how to describe this. And and, uh, she told me uh, at North Hills Mall, that is now defunct and now flat, and there's nothing there anymore. But the North Hills Mall, when we were a kid, had a coffee shop in there where they would, they didn't sell coffee, they sell coffee grounds. And they would grind coffee there in the shop. And guess what that coffee shop smelled like? Coffee. Now, uh, as a kid, she thought that was disgusting, but... 
man, when you walk into a good coffee shop and that smell is just everywhere and it's on everything, it just, it's, it's good. I love the smell of coffee. Let me tell you, our lives should be marinated in God's word in such that when we breathe, when we, when we talk, when we speak, when we live, it ought to smell like the word of God. People ought to be able to smell God's word on us. It ought to be so deep into us that it's part of us. I think uh, probably the opposite of that good smelling coffee shop is maybe the car of a smoker where it stinks. What does your life smell like? Is it permeated with God's word? Is Is it marinated in God's word? Or does it smell like this world? I want to give a challenge, okay? I know I'm 15 minutes over, and I don't care. First, I pray this message is hitting you where it's hitting me. It's uh, common for pastors, many pastors, that most of the time that they spend in God's Word is in preparation for sermons and lessons. And, and that's most of the time for me. That's not going to work. It didn't work for me. It's not going to work for you either. So uh, how many of y'all have 10 fingers? I don't know. Any, I, f- I know some friends that have nine fingers. Put your 10 fingers up. 10 fingers. Okay. How many of y'all have a Bible? Hold your Bible up, please. Okay. Uh, I- I'm going to tell you, uh, I have a King James Bible. I usually read my King James Bible. If I'm going to just put in this caveat, if you don't have a King James Bible, or if you don't like reading it because you have a hard time with it, then read something that is called the Bible and not the Bible of football or defeating procrastination, okay? I'm talking about God's holy word. Find a translation that's close, okay? MEV, it's a good English, uh, 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 solid scholarly uh, translation, okay? MEV, it's harder to find. It's not a very common translation. NKJV, you're not going to hurt my feelings. if you Find a Bible that you're going to read, okay? Bible. Ten fingers, ready? I want you to read ten chapters this week. Is that too much to ask? I want you to read ten chapters of the Bible this week. You got seven days. By next week, next Sunday, when I'm standing up here on Sunday morning, everybody in here, everybody, should have read how many chapters? Hold them up. Look to the book ten times. We need to be in God's Word. Okay? I would say 10 chapters is the minimum. Be in God's word. Let's stand together.